All right. Uh, our speaker today, Alvin Buchert, is uh, lead pastor at Mount Olive Church, and I'm going to invite him to come up, and we're going to pray for him. Uh, as he comes, he's a grad of Prairie, so he knows us and loves us, and we look forward to hearing what God has to say through him today, so let's bow in prayer. Father, we thank you for the opportunity it is to gather and listen to your word. Father, speak to us now through the power of your spirit and through your servant, Alvin, in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, thanks, Mark. And it's good to be here. Um, it's always intimidating for me to, to speak in a college environment because I'm pretty sure pretty much all of you are smarter than me, and so that's intimidating for me. Uh, the other thing that's intimidating is one guy came in uh, this morning and and said he's waiting for me to mess up or say something theologically wrong, and he's going to stand up and shout at me. And the guy sitting right in front of me when I came up has a knife in his side pocket. So I'm a little intimidated, to say the least, but uh, excited to be here anyways. Late. Late again. Why is it that I'm always running late? I know it's not only you know, something I struggle with. Many of you struggle with running late. That's why this uh, question became so uh, famous on shirts. Does running late count as cardio? Right? Does running late, because if, if it does, I'd be in fantastic shape. If running late counted as cardio, I'd be in fantastic shape, and some of you would be as well. And uh, on this particular day, uh, I knew I was running late. And if I was going to get to the meeting on time, I was going to have to break the speed limit just a little Okay, if I was going to get to the meeting on time, I'd have to break the speed limit a little lot just to have seconds to spare. And so I jumped into my five-speed, and I raced down the road. Now, things were looking pretty good. I th think I was going to make it. I thought I was going to make it. And uh, about halfway on the way to the meeting, uh, my destination, a vehicle pulled out in front of me. And it wasn't just any vehicle. It was a senior citizen's vehicle. And they weren't traveling, if, to me it felt like they weren't traveling half the speed of the speed limit. It felt like they were traveling half the speed of me walking. And uh, to make matters worse, at every four-way stop they would stop for the length of three seconds. And if someone pulled up at the end of the three seconds, they would just wait for them to go first uh, anyways. And, and they just kept, and, and then on one of the intersections there wasn't even a four-way stop. They just stopped thinking it was a four-way stop. And of course, as you can imagine, they waited for three seconds. And uh, I was like, ah, oh, now for sure I'm going to be late. And uh, I did about the only thing I could do, and that was sit back and enjoy the ride. Sit back and enjoy the ride. Because here's the thing, in a small town I thought, all I want to do is pass them. All I want to do is put the hammer down and get around them, even on a you know, town street. But I'm a, a pastor in a small town. And, uh, and the other thing is, I think the, the senior citizen goes to my church uh, so that was posed a problem. I think it might have been Al Murtis. I'm not sure, but uh, it, it was so slow. I don't know if you've noticed. I don't know if this happens to you. Maybe this just happens to me. But have you ever noticed that the moments you want to go the fastest, it seems like someone gets put in front of you or something gets put in front of you that makes you just go slower? You know, the moment you have a dream or a vision or something, even that God puts in you and you're excited and you're like, I want to go for it, it's like all the Debbie Downers, right? They just show up in your face and all the, the dream killers, they're just, all of a sudden they're there. Or, or if you're, you're pulling up to Costco or the gas station and you're thinking, which line's the fastest? And for some reason, you always pick the one that's the slowest. And it's like, for some reason, it's like whenever we want to move ahead in progress, 
It's like our progress gets killed. And what do we do when something gets in the way of our progress? There's an old saying that says, champions find a way, or as one of my uh, youth used to say, champions make a way, right? Champions make a way. And when it comes to progress, you find a way. When it comes to progress, you make a way. Let nothing stop you, especially if God's in it, right? Especially if God's in it, if God's wills it, even if it's at the expense of someone, boy, you got to make a way. Maybe God wants you in leadership. Maybe God wants you to make more money so you can give more money. It's your gift. It's your call. Why not just go and take it? God wants you to have that position. Why would you wait? Go and take it. God is a God of progress, right? God led you here. God made you for that supervisor position and that pastoral position. God made you to be the leader of the music team. God has given you that ability. Go and take it. Maybe the old leader, the old supervisor, his passion's gone, her vision's gone. They're just, they're, just, they're just filling a space and making time. You were born for this. Go and take it. Don't let anything or anyone get in your progress, especially when it's right in front of you, especially when the signs all point that this is God's destiny for you. Or maybe you're the old leader, the old guy, the old gal, the old pastor, and God called you to this position. He called you for it. And you're protecting your turf. And you would crush anyone who would be a threat. God wills it. Back to my driving example. There's a peace in all of us that when things aren't going our way, we want to take measures into our own hands. And like a champ, we want to make a way. We want to find a way. But maybe sometimes God's way is another way. A way that we wouldn't suspect. Maybe even it's a way, if we're honest, we don't even like this way. But for some reason, it seems to be God's way. And David, as he, as he faced potential in his career, as he faced the thing that God had called him to, and progress was being stalled in his life, he actually found a third way. A way that I think he would say, this is often, this is often God's way. As you know, David had been anointed as a young boy, maybe a young teen. Most scholars think he was probably around 15 years of age when he was anointed. And uh, David had, since he had been anointed, David was growing in popularity. I mean, the one event that, that just kind of catapulted him into stardom was when he slayed the giant, right, Goliath. I mean, everybody was talking about it. Everybody knew what David had done. It didn't just make him famous within the borders of Israel. I mean, everyone outside, everybody knew what had happened and who this David was. But it was also that event that changed the relationship between David and King Saul. It caused Saul to become highly suspicious and jealous of David, which led Saul to hate David. God was with David, though, and, and David continued to, to go out with army and with men, and he had more success than Saul, more success than any of the other commanders in, in Israel. All of this popularity and Saul's personal suspicions and jealousy came to a head at one point, and Saul tells his son Jonathan, who had actually become really close friends with David, he told him that he intended to kill David. And he did on numerous occasions. You probably, you know, talked about some of this already in your series. But Saul tried to kill David, and David always seemed to be able to escape, often with the help of Jonathan, Saul's son. One time it was with the help of Michael, uh, Saul's daughter, which happened to be David's wife. And I'm sure that just ticked him off more. My own family is, you know, not helping me take uh, care of and get rid of, uh, of David. 
And Saul just got more and more ticked off. And all through this time, David knew something, though. As Saul was trying to kill him, David knew something. In fact, many, many people in Israel knew something. They knew that one day David was going to be king. They knew this. And one day David was going to have Saul's crown. In fact, Jonathan said as much. At one point, as Saul was, uh, Saul's army was pursuing David and his 600 men, Saul's son, Jonathan, went to David at Horish and helped him find his strength in God. Don't be afraid, he said. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel, and I will be second to you. Even my father Saul knows this. Lots of people, everybody knows, Jonathan said. Everybody knows. And everyone who knew, except for Saul, wanted this to happen. The nation wanted this to happen. David kept winning over the hearts of the people. At one point, the Philistines attacked a small town in Judah called Calah. And uh, it seems as though David was either too afraid of the Philistine army or he was too preoccupied with trying to kill David himself. So he does nothing to protect this town and they're overtaken by the Philistines. But David with his 600 men, they go up and attack uh, the Philistines and they rescue the town and its citizens. And with stories like this, as they started to spread around the nation, David won the hearts. He won the hearts of the people. He was going to be king. Everybody knew. In fact, God had willed it. He'd been anointed. Surely it was time for David to take what was his. He only has one life, right? He's just losing time. You only have one life to make an impact. Why not go and take what you've been God-ordained to have? Why not lay hold of it? It was his right. Why not, like a champ, make a way, find a way? David had strength. He was smart. He could surely kill Saul. And an opportunity like never before was about to present itself. After David rescued Kayla from the Philistines, Saul heard that uh, David was in that city. And so he sent men to go after David and kill him there. But David escaped. He ran off. And after Saul uh, returned from pursuing the Philistines, he told David, he was told David is in the desert of Engedi. So Saul took 3,000 able young men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. Saul's hunting him down just over and over. He's hunting him down. It's like Man Tracker. You've watched that, right? Except for this is kind of like, this is like a pass-fail. You kind of, you're either alive or dead. You, you know, it's just, the stakes are so, so high. And he came to the sheep pens along the way, and a cave was there. And Saul went in to relieve himself. David and his men were far back in the cave. You can just see David as he, he's running from Saul over and over. And Saul's pulled together some of the young, the best young, 3,000 of the best young fighters in Israel to pursue Saul and to go and kill him. And, and, and it's like man tracker. He's just getting closer and closer and closer. And it seems like, because this seems like a bad move. If you're being pursued to go into a cave where you're pinned against a wall, you have no way out. It seems like a bad move. Maybe an error on David's part. He should have known better than to hide in a cave. But I think what this maybe shows is David and his men are in desperate, desperate desperation mode. And they're just the last straw, the last, last bit of what they can do. They hide in a cave. They pin themselves against a wall. There's no way out. They're desperate, and in the desperation, they, they, they make their final move, and then they pray, and they're saying, God, would you do a miracle? We're in a cave. We're in a cave. Would you do a miracle? But suddenly, the tables turn. 
and the unimaginable happens. Saul enters the cave to relieve himself all by himself. Now, really, this is one of the advantages, maybe the only advantages males have over females, right? If you got to go, you just go. You just go. You just find a cave, find anywhere, just go, right? And, and Saul does, but the term relieve actually means that he just went to cover his feet, which might mean he went to have a nap. So we don't know if he's peeing or sleeping or peeing in his sleeping, but whatever the case, whatever the case, Saul's alone, and as fate would have it, this is providence. David and his men are <laughs> backs against the wall praying for a miracle. This is the miracle, is it not? Saul comes into the cave alone. Cha-ching, it's payday. Cha-ching, we're saved. We can put an end to the man who keeps pursuing us to kill us. And that's exactly what uh, uh, David's men are thinking. The men said, this is the day the Lord spoke of. When he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. This is it, David. This is your chance. In fact, God wills it. God ordained it. We were in a cave praying for a miracle, and God spoke of this day. Why won't you go and take it? It's yours. I mean, logic says it's time, right? God has already, already rejected Saul as king. God has already anointed you and made you king. Word is spreading. People want this. Everybody knows it's going to happen, and they want it to happen. Saul's own son, Jonathan, wants you to be king. Just reach out and grab what's rightfully yours. Grab the throne. It's called progress. And you don't get in the way of progress. See, David and his men, I mean, they'd, they'd been facing death down the barrel of a gun for weeks. And suddenly it's like, this is our way out. Why not take it? Champions make a way. Champions find a way. Like a champion, David did. And like a champion, David crept up unnoticed and cut off the head of King Saul. He took matters into his own hands. He took what was already his, what was God-ordained his. And he walked out of the cave with King Saul's crown on his own head. And he walked out of the cave with King's head in his own hand. And he said to the army, I am king. Woo! Now that's the kind of leader we want to follow, right? Someone who knows what they want and knows what's theirs and goes and takes it. That's the kind of leader we would want to follow. But that's not who David is. I made that all up, just so you know. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner. He cut off a corner of Saul's robe. What a whiff! Is that all he had in him? I mean, the moment the enemy's there and God has ordained this, this situation for him to take advantage, is that all that he has within him? Where's, where's the, the warrior that killed Goliath, that cut off the head of the giant? Where's the warrior of David? Is that all he had in him? In fact, it's, 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 he didn't even have this in him because this is what happens next. Afterward, David was conscience-stricken for cut, having cut off a corner of his robe, the king's robe. I mean, you got to be kidding me, right? I mean, David couldn't even cut off the edge of the robe of the king without being like, ah, oh, I did something wrong. What a wimp. He didn't have it in him, but here's why. Here's why he says, here's why I'm conscience stricken. And he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed. 
or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. And with these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went his own way. Don't touch. David said, don't touch the Lord's anointed. Under the law the Israelites had, there was a command to put tassels at the end of all your garments. And the tassels were reminders of the law of the Lord. And what David did when he cut off the edge of the, the king's robe, which was probably his most significant sign of kingship, his robe. When he cut it off, he made it unusable. And in that way, disrespected the king. He, it's like he took what was the king's and took it away from him. And so it was an act of disrespect, which in some ways you think, really that's all you did was disrespect a guy that's trying to kill you? That's not so bad. But for David, it was. It was a big, big thing. And David went out of the king and he called to Saul, my lord the king, my lord the king. When Saul looked behind him, David bowed down to the man who was trying to kill him and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. He showed respect. He just disrespected. Now he shows respect to the king. And he said to Saul, why do you listen when men say, David is bent on harming you. This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lay my hand on my Lord because he is what? The Lord's anointed. Don't touch. Don't touch. Don't touch the Lord's anointed. See, my father, and he was, he was his father-in-law. Look at this piece of your robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe, but I did not kill you. See that there is nothing in my hand that, to indicate that I am guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. May the Lord judge between you and me, and may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me. But my hand, my hand will not touch you. As the old saying goes, from evildoers come evil deeds, so my hand will not touch you. David, in the moment of his greatest need, held on to not his own power and not his own might and not his own wisdom. He held on to a promise that God had that God didn't seem to be fulfilling right now. It is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. And David held on to that promise. He held on to that promise. And David continues, against whom has the king of Israel come out? Who are you pursuing? A dead dog? As he's referring to himself. I'm nothing. A flea? May the Lord be our judge and decide between us. May he consider my cause and uphold it. May he vindicate me by delivering me from your hand. May God vindicate me by delivering me from your hand. Again, God doesn't seem to be vindicating or delivering him. It seems like Saul always has the upper hand, and yet David continued to say, I'm not going to take measures into my own hands. I will trust. I'll trust the Lord. And when David finished saying, these, saying this, Saul asked, is that your voice, David, my son? And he wept aloud. You are more righteous than I, he said. You have treated me well, but I have treated you poorly. And then check this out. He says, you have just now told me about the good you did to me. The Lord delivered me into your hands, but you did not kill me. And he says, that was stupid. But he says it in this way. When a man finds his enemy, does he, not, does he let him get away unharmed? I mean, everything you've done, David, is so backwards. 
Why wouldn't you have taken me out? Anyone who's anyone knows that you got to take out the thing that stands in your way when progress is at stake. May the Lord reward you well for the way you treated me today. And then Saul says, I know that you will surely be king. Saul knew. Everybody knew. Everybody knew. Surely you will be king, and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will not kill off my descendants or wipe out my name from my father's family. So David gave his oath to Saul. Then Saul returned home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. David would not touch the Lord's anointed. Not even when the Lord's anointed was wrong. No, David would not rush God, even when God and God's speed felt like it wasn't movement at all. And the reason was David found God's way. You know, there's the champion's way. There's the way that we often go, which is go and grab, go and take, even at anybody's expense. But David found another way. It was God's way. It was a way that you don't take measures into your own hands. And God's way was trust in God and wait on the Lord. Trust in God and wait on the Lord. And David trusted God with all his heart. Not his own wisdom, not his own strength. He didn't even trust his own way. He trusted in God and waited on the Lord. And you know, for David and Saul, this wasn't the end. Saul would again rise up to try and kill David. And David would again have an opportunity by, by Saul's bedside to kill the king that was trying to kill him. And David would not take measures into his own hands. And in fact, this would become the posture of David's life. This posture would, would follow him the rest of his days. This posture of, of brokenness, of humility, a complete trust in God. Gene Edwards in A Tale of Three Kings does this beautiful job of portraying this posture of David. If you ever have a chance, read it. It's amazing. You know, David understood that victory was with the Lord. If you wait for him, progress is only progress when the Lord goes before you. If you run ahead, disaster is in your way. There's a desire in all of us to reach out and grab there's a drive in all of us to make our own way. There's a part in all of us that wants to go our own way. And when something or someone gets in the way, boy, we'll do anything to remove that someone or something. It's called progress. It's called pride. It's called, it's my way. And as Gene Edwards says in his book, but, God, but for God to do what God wants to do, that part in us, that part in you, must die and the process of that death was nearly the death, physical death of David. He barely escaped. And I assure you, if you'll follow in his footsteps, it will be the same for you. If that drive and that push to run ahead to go our own way is not dealt with, it will rear its head when we're old. And you may be the one to kill God's anointed. We see this in Saul, don't we? He could not stand, he could not handle David rising up, and through his own selfish ambition, he missed what God was doing. He almost killed the Lord's anointed, but David learned this valuable lesson, and it would follow him later in his life. In fact, years later, his own son Absalom would rise up, and with all the strength and all the smarts of a young David, he would start a rebellion to overthrow his father. 
the king. And Absalom had it all. He had skill. He had talent. He had leadership ability. He had great looks. I mean, he was a looker. Uh, the scripture tells us there was no one in the kingdom that looked as good as Absalom from head to toe. He's like eye candy, if that was such a thing. He had it all, but the one thing he did not have, the one thing Absalom did not have, he lacked the broken and humble spirit of his father David. But David, instead of crushing his son Absalom, practiced again what he'd learned years earlier when he was a young man under Saul. You don't touch the Lord's anointed, and here's what David wasn't sure of. Was God behind Absalom? And the only way he could know was to trust in the Lord and wait on the Lord. He couldn't take measures into his own hands. And David knew just as easily as God had made him leader over Saul that God could remove him. So in humility and brokenness, he just waited on the Lord. And sometimes in our desire to pr for progress and to protect our own turf, I wonder if we miss out on what God really wants. I wonder if David could speak to you young leaders, young men and women who desire to move up the ranks, who want to make something of your life, to make your life count. Those of you that want to go out and grab what's in front of you, what would he say to those of you that have been called by God for a specific task? You've been anointed for it. What would he say to a young leader who's in a circumstance and it seems like it's taking too long and people and things are getting in the way. And you want to just take measures into your own hands. I bet if David could speak to you young men and women, he would say something like this. There's something I learned as a young leader. I was young and ambitious once as well. And it's this. Don't miss out. Don't miss out on what God will teach you. Because you were too impatient to let God lead you. Don't miss out on what God will teach you on what he wants for you because you are so impatient to let God lead you. And David said, don't touch the Lord's anointed. Don't touch. If God put them or that thing there, God can also remove that thing or them. There's something to be learned in patient hum humility and brokenness before God. And what about you old leaders? You know, the 50 plus, or if you don't think that's old, 60 plus. What would David say to you? You who have had the power, you've had the turf, you've had the position, and there's young eagles, young leaders that are rising up. And some of the young eagles and the some leaders, the young leaders are like Absaloms. And they're getting a little aggressive. And like Saul, maybe you just want to protect your turf. You want to protect your space. God called you to this position. You're not letting it go so easily. And what would David say to you? I think he would say, you know, I had the chance to be Absalom. I had a chance to be like Absalom with my son Absalom, but I didn't because I learned something as a young leader that I'd like to pass on to you old leaders. Don't miss out on what God will teach you because you were unwilling to let God lead you. You just had to hold on. And here's what you don't know. You don't know who the Lord has anointed to be leader next. And we learn God's way when we live in humility before God. It's a broken way. It's a broken pathway. But it's a pathway of trust. 
And David showed his heart in Psalms many times throughout the Psalms. And at one point he said this, In you, Lord, my God, I put my trust. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God my Savior and my hope is in you all day long. Which means I trust you. You guide me. I don't want to guide me. You teach me. I don't want to teach me. My hope is in you. And it's not, my hope's not in the horse. My hope's not in my sword. My hope's not in my wisdom and my knowledge. My hope is in you all day long. Don't let me run ahead of you, God. And David lived this out when Saul was chasing him down like a dog. He did not touch the Lord's anointed. And when his son Absalom was pushing him out, he did not crush the rebellion because even when his enemies were coming against him, he said this, but I trust in you, Lord. I say, you are my God. My what? My times. My times are in your hands, which means my times, my dates, my life, it's all in your hands. I have complete trust, humility before you. And David was not willing to miss out on what God would teach him because he was too impatient to let God lead him. You know, many of you are young. You have passion for life, and you have potential and great potential, and God is going to call you to some amazing workplaces and ministry and nonprofits. It's, it, I, I think God is going to do great things through you, but listen, listen. In your workplace, in your ministry, in your career, in your life, you're bound, you are bound to run into a Saul, someone who's holding on to what they have, and maybe you're the young pastor, or you're the young business person, or you're the gifted individual, and you have a vision for the ministry or the company, and the old leader, the old pastor, he just doesn't have it anymore, and there's going to be something in you that, that wants to grow and grab and take. In fact, there's going to be people that say to you, go and grab and take. You're like a young Absalom. It's all yours. You can go and take it. And maybe even the old leader that's above you, maybe he's even or she is even intimidated by your charisma, and they start attacking you. In that moment, you'll have a decision to make. Will you be Absalom, and in the name of progress, will you just go and take, or will you be David? Will you be broken? And in humility, will you trust the Lord? Will you trust the Lord and will you put your faith in him and your hope in him all day long or will you miss out on what God might teach you because you're too impatient to let God lead you? Will you touch the Lord's anointed? See, God raises kingdoms and disposes of them and he calls us to submit to the leadership. And you don't know when it's God's time to remove the anointed. All we can do is wait. Wait on the Lord. And with David say, I trust in you, my times, God, my times are in your hands. And it's a slow road, and it's a broken road. Will you take the broken road? Because here's what's true. One day, you'll be the old leader. And one day, there will be young Davids and young Absaloms rising to take leadership. But here's what you won't know. Who's a David and who's an Absalom? Who's the Lord's anointed and who's not? And God may not even tell you who's who. And there may be something in, you, in that moment that will cause you to want to crush. And you may end up wanting to crush the Lord's anointed. And will you have learned that posture that David learned? To say, God, I trust you. I had my time. 
But my times are not in my hands. My times are in your hands. As Gene Edwards says, there's a Saul and an Absalom in each of us. But what God wants to do is make a David of all of us. But to make us into a David, we must be broken. It's a broken road to become like David. The Saul and Absalom in us must die, and that comes through brokenness. And David understood this because he said, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise A spirit that says, I still want to do it my way. I'm still right. I'm still going to do it my way. God can't work with that. And here's the thing. You can't trust God if you still trust yourself. And you can't trust God when you take measures into your own hands. And you can't trust God when you still want to control your times and destinations and outcomes. To trust God our way and our drive to do it our way must be broken. We must be broken and contrite. And when we are, God will not despise us. God's way is a humble way. In fact, a thousand, almost a thousand years later, many years later, a descendant of David would rise up, someone way more famous than David. And he would say this, blessed, blessed are the, the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who in humility come before God and say, it's your way, not mine. I'll wait on you. I will wait on the Lord. Going and getting, taking things into your own hands is a broken way that will lead to more brokenness. Waiting and doing it God's way is a broken way that leads to wholeness. There's no shortcuts to God's best. Don't miss out on what God will teach you because you are unwilling to let God lead you. I think David would say that, but I know David said this. And I want you to say it with me, if we can get there. Let's read this together. In you, Lord, my God, I put my trust. My hope is in you all day long. Say that again. In you, Lord, I put my hope all day long. You know, I wonder if the souls of the world were once Absalom's that never became David's. And who will you be? Will you put your trust and your hope in God all day long? Let's bow to pray. Father, Father, thank you for the wisdom. Thank you for the heart of David that teaches us a heart that you accept, a heart that you love, 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 love to accept. You don't despise a broken and contrite heart. You call us to trust in you, to wait on the Lord. And God, it's hard to trust in you, as David found out, when your back's against the wall. It's hard to live this out when it seems like your timing is way too slow. And God, I pray for every leader and every young person in this room that you're going to call into a workplace, into a ministry place, and you've gifted them. They're beautifully and wonderfully made. They're You have great plans for them. But Father, would you give them a heart of David? Would you give all of us a heart of David? And that indeed with David, we'd be able to say, you are my God, and I put my trust in you. I put my hope in you all day long. Amen. You're dismissed. 
I'm, I, 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 I was told not to tell you to go home. I think you're supposed to go to class. I don't know what that's about, but have a great day.